Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello. Hello, hello. Last ball has dropped. Let's do this. Let's do this. Good morning. I have my coffee. What time is it for you, Damien? Um, 12 past 2 p.m. Oh, you're fine. I just woke up. It's like 8.12 here. I mean, I didn't just wake up. I was watching this Zverev match, but um, it is early here. But um, welcome, Damien. The last ball has dropped. And how about we start there um, with the Zverev-Mikkelsen match? Did you see any of it? Oh, a bit. Um, yeah, that's what we usually do, start with the with what's freshest in our memories, <laughs> although it wasn't particularly memorable. I mean, good no. for Alex that he was able to mount up this second set comeback. Certainly, uh, he got used to the pace a little bit and like just started taking over himself a few opportunities down the line, which he's kind of known for, especially on the backhand side. But yeah. Not the most memorable for sure. First time Zverev doesn't drop a set in this match. Kind of in this tournament, kind of feels like the first time Zverev doesn't drop a set in an Islam early round ever. Yeah. <laughs> because he's been doing that all the time. Of course, this one was like only close in the second, but it's good for him, of course, to have uh, just more time to rest up now since there are some larger challenges looming, I guess, for Zverev still in this event. Now, now that he's going to play Nori in the forefront as well, which is like such a physical battle coming up yeah yeah he you know he's had a tough run of it for his first um two matches and this one felt like the most sort of regular for him um and it's good and i mean you mentioned nori so we can go there i did yeah. not expect nori to come out of that matchup with the rude what happened i mean he hasn't won against a top 20 player in a very long time. And his 2023, other than that title he won on clay early mm -hmm. in the season, wasn't great. So what was that last top 20 win? I actually don't even know. Is it I like Alcaraz or is it, is it that I long? I think it was actually. I think it was Alcaraz in the... I'm going to che check it while I'll be talking. But yeah, I'm, I mean, he beat Alex Deminor in the first match of the season, right? In um, 
at the United at, at, um, Cup. Yes, at United Cup. At United Cup. So yes, I mean. So I guess it, that also counts. But otherwise, yeah. maybe we have to go back to the Alcaraz match, I suppose. No, also Rublev in India Wells. So yeah, up until March. But yeah, uh, I think Nori. Uh, there was a lot of question marks going for going into this match for sure. He had some like minor wrist issues, I think, or something like that uh, along the way. Of course, five sets against Zapieri, uh, four sets against whoever it was in the opening round. I don't even remember. But um, yeah, I think he played a very smart match, just more aggressive than usual, uh, going to the net a ton, really putting in the pressure on Ruth and like not allowing Kasper to just keep pushing him behind the baseline and just keep dominating with that heavy topspin forehand. So I, I do think that he actually played just a very good, smart, tactical match, not really outlasting Nori like he did to Zapieri, but this time taking things into his own hands a lot more. And uh, yeah, that's probably one of the one of his best wins in a while. I mean, uh, that we just mentioned that Alex de Miller won at the United Cup, which kind of looks way better in hindsight, given that Alex, that Alex hasn't lost since. But yeah. I, I do think that this one might be just stronger since it wasn't the first match of the season. It also wasn't like a team-based competition, but a slam. It was a best-of-five set match, of course. So I do think that this this definitely is one of his best wins in a while. And I was just going to look at their head-to-head. I don't think it's great. I think actually Rude leads it, no? Uh, I don't even remember now. Uh, Rude Nori, right? Um, yeah, Rude Nori. Yeah, I think, I think... Rude, Rude led it by like 2-0 or 3-0, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and it's interesting because for these particular two players, it's nice to see them have a good start to the season. I know... Nori did have a good start to 2023, but, you know, he kind of, it, it kind of went downhill from there. Yeah. And, you know, Rude's last season, his start because of, you know, all the exhibitions he was doing, it wasn't a great start for him either. So it's nice to see them both, you know, making it this far. Rude has won some other matches earlier in, earlier this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, Cam Nori, if you I could have paid you money that he wouldn't have won that match. And it was really great to see, to see him come through that. Uh, I wouldn't um, go that far, but um, <laughs> I, did, I did consider Ruth the favorite. He did seem to have the stronger start to the season, which as a whole sort of just puts you in this position where like now, yeah, did Casper really have that strongest start? I mean, he, he did start pretty well, but he doesn't really have yeah. that much to show for it. Let's, let's just say that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, do we stick with the let's stick with the ATP? Let's do that and then we can end uh-huh. on on what what what's happening over on the WTA. But it seems I did not watch this one, but it seems like Daniil pretty much had a routine F match against the FAA, you know, with all the drama of his of his um you know late nights and all of that earlier on. It seems like his match with FAA was kind of routine. Yeah, uh, definitely. It was quite easy. I think um, when we were doing a bit of uh, streaming for the Paul Ketsmanovic fifth setter and then just some random stuff that was happening along the time as well. And then Matthew was coming over for Ostapenko Azarenka. We were talking for about it with Vansh a little bit and he was like, so Vansh should look at the 2022. Uh, so, so Felix should look at the 2022 quarterfinal that they played. And I was yeah. just like, yeah, but it's not the same, Felix. You know? It's not the same. I don't care. I mean, I, I don't think that 2022 match is relevant whatsoever. It's probably a weaker version of Medvedev even compared to that event. But, you know, the difference isn't as huge, at least in that case. And yeah, uh, it, it was never really a match. I think that the conditions as well, still at night, 
but not as slow as when Medvedev was, of course, playing Rusevori way past midnight to like 3.40 a.m. or something like that. Like, it, it's just such a big deal as well. Uh, anytime Medvedev is going to be scheduled for something like that, I think he's going to struggle against like a powerful opponent. This time he's so much more comfortable. And of course, he kind of needed that as well. Yeah, after the, the late finish and the day off, of course, helps with that. If he was to play on the next day, he maybe would have been ruined enough to lose this. But uh, yeah, the draw is kind of opening up for him too. So uh, definitely a better. The, the, the outlook for the rest of the event for Daniel is much better right now than it was after the Rusuvori round two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Poor Dimitrov, man. I mean, poor Dimitrov. You got to win your matches, you know? I know. You got to win your matches. But he was looking so good. You know, he won a title after so long. Um, Coming into the Australian Open, he's been playing so well. And, I mean, it just took an inspired uh, Nuno Borgs to just, you know, like like just wrestle it away from him. That was pretty... um, you know, you, you're sad for, for Dimitrov, but you're right. You have to win your matches. Yeah. Grigor has missed a few chances at the Australian Open. Probably the most glaring one, of course, Edmund in 2018, the quarter. But um, here, of course, it was still a long way back. But after the first couple of rounds, you could easily believe that Dimitrov was going to tr- struggle against, uh, uh, that the Dimitrov was going to trouble Medvedev. I don't think he was that bad. Definitely. I think yeah. Junior played mm-hmm. like close to the best match of his life, maybe the best match of his life. Uh, certainly the way he was hitting and just uh, sort of maintaining that insane uh, tempo, maintaining that insane pace and constantly going through the Dimitrov forehand as well. He doesn't struggle with low balls really, uh, although I, I guess sometimes indoors uh, on the faster court he can, but here he didn't struggle with the slice of Dimitrov at all. Like he would just power through it. Dimitrov couldn't like slow things down. And this is a big part of his game recently, of course, to just use that athleticism to use the slice to reset, to get it back to neutral. He couldn't do it against Borges at all. Of course, there's one major, major screw up here for Dimitrov, and that's the fourth set tiebreak. Nuno goes up 4-1, plays some insane points, but then he gets tight. He gets visibly tight. He shanks the forehand. He hits a cup. He hits a double fault as well, I think, at like 5-0 or like 4-0, something like that. And of course, Dimitrov has one set point on his own serve. What does he do? He double faults as well. So yeah, I can't really say poor Dimitrov because he he, he sort of did, did this to himself. Like this should have been a fifth set. There was a definite moment when Junior got tight, even with the crazy level that he was showing all match. There was a moment when uh, Dimitrov easily could have stepped up and, and not even stepped up, like done something insane, right? Just literally put the serve in. And with how Junior yeah. was playing on the last, like the previous five or six points, it's very likely he would have won it just by putting in a few shots. But overall, he was really outplayed quite heavily. I mean, this much. And it is it is shocking. It is absolutely shocking how uh, Nuno Borges just uh, was able to power through that slice and, and just give Dimitrov nothing. I guess these cards, on the contrary to like what we might think about after Iga Świątek matches, they actually do take spin quite okay. Or maybe it's the balls who are pretty heavy. And uh, yeah, Dimitrov just couldn't handle what was going into his backhand side, which is definitely quite surprising as recently that's one of his main strengths. And in general, that's one of his main strengths. Yeah. I mean, what can you tell us about Nuno Borges? Because, I mean, up until this match, I had never seen the man play. (laughs) But um, I'm sure you have since you've seen everybody play. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've interviewed him. I've seen him play a lot of times. Yes, absolutely. He was, of course, a college player uh, a couple of years ago for Mississippi State. Wonderful career oh, cool. there. And after he after he wrapped it up, basically had a pretty steady rise, I would say. Um, usually peaking in Portugal, very good on clay. Uh, although that was also like changing from um, sort of at various points of his career. I know when he was in college, he at some point definitely considered hard courts to be his best surface, then sort of switching to clay. And then since he got to the ATP level, he's by the way from Maya, where that uh, challenger is held in, in uh, December or like almost end of and almost beginning of December, end of November on indoor clay. So winning that uh, last year, of course, was pretty big for him as well. Uh, given that it's in that it's in his hometown, but what I'm trying to say is that since getting to the ATP Tour level, he has kind of struggled. Like he he got to uh, the second round or like the round of 16 at ATP Tour events nine times, never making it to the quarters, which was pretty shocking. Given that even like when he was just breaking through and just having a random Estoril ATP 250 appearance, he beat Thompson and lost a great match with Chilich, and it, and it, you know he's better than this. However, I, I cannot really um, say that, um, well, on the main tour, he hasn't been exposed a touch. Like, he's really had some rough losses. Most of these round of 16 defeats, I mean, they were pretty heavy. Even this year already, I mean, he wins two games against Arthur Fields in Auckland, for example. So mm-hmm. he's, he's really had some nightmares at that level. And it, it, it was a bit surprising to me. I, like, I wasn't expecting him to be a top 20 contender or something, but definitely the the pace the trajectory that he had after college was pretty insane and i just thought he was going to be more of a main tour threat he still hasn't made a quarterfinal at two level i suppose but of course a grand some fourth round is like better and uh, yeah. also beating yeah. two seeds along the way uh, beating them like that as well i mean he before today he was he was along with sinner the only player who hasn't dropped a set so far and honestly it was pretty close for him not to drop one either here like uh, he wins the first set tie break and who knows what's, what's going to happen in the next two but uh yeah it, it, it's definitely quite insane i do wonder whether he's going to capitalize on this i think uh, certainly is like a pretty basic ish attacking ball striker but uh, today i think was a, was a wonderful display of of his game and just how much he actually has on the ball and how much spin he's able to uh, produce on that forehand uh, definitely a versatile player as well right now so i i think that uh, this is of course going to give him a lot of confidence and it's going to be just the, the next question after the australian open is just going to be whether he actually starts stepping up consistently on that tour right level. because last year his his win-loss record was horrific like it was like i don't remember 5 12 or whatever something like that he was only maintaining himself really in the top 100 on challenger points last year so obviously the big goal this year will be to avoid that, to just be able to survive purely of what he can play at the highest level. Right, right. And, you know, now he's in the top 50 based off of these results. Yeah. It seems the second only Portuguese player to do it. And, you know, another great Grand Slam story. So hopefully he um, he can keep it up all season. Um, back to the other matches that happened Um Yesterday, today, what is time when things are happening in Australia? Um, the blockbuster match that I stayed up for, that, you know, that I, I mean, luckily it wasn't um, a night match. It was a daytime match, but it didn't turn out to be much. Carlos Alcaraz against um, JC Zhang. How do you say his last name? Yuncheng Zhang. I mean, Yuncheng Zhang. Yeah. And um, uh, like, like the, I mean, of course we don't pronounce it the best that we possibly could. 
But I yeah. think with a lot of these Chinese names, we just sort of go for the acceptable pronunciation, like with Kim Zheng or whatever. We're not going to be saying it the best. We try we our best. Can. But yeah, we, we, we just go for best. the acceptable pronunciation. So if anyone knows Chinese or is Chinese in the chat, sorry. But I think, uh, yeah, that's what the mainstream media sort of has been going for as well. Just just say it in a way that's acceptable, which I guess in this case is Yun Cheng Shang. And if you want to avoid the name, it's also Jerry Shang. So Jerry, Jerry. Is fine as well. Yeah, yeah Chinese names generally have their, like Chinese names have their uh, representative like I guess I don't know how to call it like Chinese names have what their versions call, in English I, most of the time yeah and and, and Jerry is for for Yung Cheng yeah so Matthew's giving us a little a little tip it's Shang like Bong in English no I've never heard anyone pronounce it like this but it's very possible of course I'm not saying yeah. that it's not true I'm, I'm just saying I've never heard it pronounced like this <laughs> but in terms of his match it's he he, he retired injured um it seems like he couldn't, you know, he was playing so well in Hong Kong, came into the Australian Open, kept it up, but it seems like his body couldn't keep up with it. Yeah, uh, that's, of course, been the major story for Yun Chang Shang really throughout the course of his career. But it, it's definitely, um, like, it, it's pretty certain that he did make the major leap after the offseason. Of course, semis in Hong Kong, beating some amazing players and also staying on court, like, two consecutive rounds for three and a half hours, withstanding that. Here, he already had a pretty tough workout for his standards, at least. I mean, five sets against um, Maki McDonald, four sets against Sumit Nagal. I don't think he was troubling Carlos anyway, but certainly it wasn't the shot-making feast that we were expecting and just a watchable classic, even if, yeah. not, competitive, if, you know, even if not a competitive match. But yeah, after, after last year, of course, where, where Shank had mono and then also um, just a lot of physical issues, any third set would basically be already... Uh, so tough for him in the Asian swing. I kind of don't know where he got his points last year. Like when, when I think about it, like he doesn't have much to defend, you know? So so still the opportunity is there and it's just a question of whether he can recover because clearly the game has improved after the offseason. So uh, I am still expecting some pretty big things from, from Shang this year. It's just that, or Shang, if, uh, if I want to say it like Matthew is trying to teach us to. Yeah, um, you know, it was exciting to see him play um, in Hong Kong. I think he beat Tiafo. That was a very um, crazy match. Um, so hopefully he can um, keep up the form and keep up, keep his body um, together in order to, um, to have a great season. Um, just hitting on a few other matches. So Kubier Catch survived Ugo and Bear. Um, Tommy Paul did not survive Mimo Kutsmanovic. Um, yeah, absolutely. I was listening to the uh, pronunciation on the ATP profile and it's actually no, nothing like strong there. So I don't know, maybe he also <laughs> said it, you know, in a way where um, he just sort of expects us to um, say it yeah. in, in a bit of a more accept, like natural way for us. But I don't know. Uh, it happens sometimes that the players just sort of start accepting a, a non-perfect pronunciation anyway you wanted to talk about Hurkacz and Paul or what I mean it's what did you think of both both matchups I mean Hugo mm -hmm. I mean for for Hurkacz this is his first fourth round now of um the Australian Open right no. is it or is it second it's no it's second, second. After last it's, second. it's a second yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a pretty good uh, result for him. Um, I think the draw has opened up as well because that Rune forefront was looking pretty dangerous. Um, Menchik, of course, second round, that was kind of lucky for him that Menchik wasn't able to survive this physically because like, quality-wise, he definitely had what it takes to beat him. Uh, but yeah, today he was absolutely fine. He did choke the third set like horribly, but got, got it back in the tiebreak where he was eventually sixth of up even. Lost the next four points, but you know, somehow he manages to get over the line. So that was a bit messy. But uh, in general, I think uh, the defensive scrambling was really good today. Umber probably wasn't really like able to stay as consistent as he sometimes can. But uh, obviously, uh, it's not like his main asset. And um, yeah, I think to to just reach that second second week of a major on hard courts again for the second time that's already pretty huge because of course Hurgard's performances at the slams especially the US Open but Australia until last year as well were quite horrific and you know he he will like his chances next round uh, I don't know if he takes the opportunity but it's certainly easier than what he was expecting before the event he also has a good record against Medvedev so it's really all there for even a semi-final run and um, who knows maybe he can actually pull it off despite like probably playing you know just solid stuff. I, I haven't been obsessed. Like, I haven't been so um, amazed by Hubert Hurkacz's level so far. I don't think anyone has. Yeah. But that's really what he has to do, like, in the long run. I think to sort of establish himself as a more of a 7-8 player rather than 9-10 in the rankings, if you if you want to go for that. Like, ju- just yeah. win, get to the second, ra- second week consistently rather than, uh, you know, have a peak uh, stretch like the last uh, couple of uh, months like the second half of 2023, where he still loses, of course, at, in, at the US Open in the second round. But we, we many times we've said it that this one is actually passable because he was sick and also he played Draper. But but um, yeah, this is kind of what he needs to do, like win routine, win, win fairly routinely, let's say, because Menchik wasn't routine, but win somewhat routinely when he's not absolutely peaking and uh, yeah, get to these second weeks. And uh, Paul Ketsmanovic, uh, yeah, another match point saving affair from Ketsmanovic. Second second round in a row, he saved two match points. Uh, kind of Tommy's fault. Like, he did play a very tight tie break in the fourth. Didn't have anything left, I don't know, if mentally or or um, um, physically for the fifth one. But, of course, it wasn't really close. Ketsmanovic uh, also, since the Davis Cup finals, just playing a lot above his usual standard with a lot more conviction, if you may. So uh, that's pretty nice for him. He gets a rematch with Alcaraz, which was one of, one of the best matches of 2022. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think after Tommy Paul's match against Draper, I was expecting more. So I didn't even watch this match. I, 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 I just thought, you know, maybe he'd hit another level. And so I was very shocked to see the results at the end, especially the bagel in the fifth set. Um, so unfortunately, I didn't watch that. But I will check out the highlights for that. And finally, the match I want to talk about, we have another Artur. We have another Artur coming out of France. And just like Sean says, I think Damien knows this Artur very well, even though before the Australian Open, I had never heard of his name before. I'm actually wondering if I've ever seen him live. Um, maybe not. I heard oh, you won a challenger, Damien. You didn't watch it? I mean, live <laughs> as in, you know, in person. In person, um, yeah. <laughs> in person. Marseille 2020 actually did. He got a wild card there because he was the runner-up of the Australian Open 2020. But that was like a major event and he didn't fare too well. Mayo was at the time of, uh, maybe developing a little better. But yeah, I mean, I've I've, I've had this rundown of Cazot 
the past couple of days I've, I, I had this already like five times so let's just say that yeah the runner-up of Australian Open 2020 lots of injuries coming up uh, in 2022 he even announced that he no sorry 2020 yeah 2022 he even announced an indefinite break from tennis because of all the issues that he was having that indefinite break only lasted like six weeks he was back um, in 2023 in like you know better shape just had a weaker second half and it was kind of a question like whether he's actually getting exposed or not uh, because um, it was just tougher for him to stay on top of the point when he wasn't like serving well against these big players and the service is like amazing for his height and it's such a big part of his game as well to just get the first strike in go to the net right now I think he's able to do that for two reasons uh, one is that he's even fitter even faster even more even better athletically so like he's able to turn around a ton of points and also uh, he actually goes for it a lot more as well on the, off the ground so like the serve isn't as vital for him anymore anymore even if it's still like probably the biggest asset actually that he has in his arsenal i would say first serve around 85 percent points first serve points won against both jerry and kazo i actually didn't check the stat against greek sport today but honestly greek sport was pretty flat uh, then again it doesn't change the fact that you know kazo just had so much momentum and was flying around the court yeah again 85 percent so 14 aces as well in a, in a very short match and um, yeah, I think uh, what's important to mention is that he's eight and zero right now this year. He was um, he was three six two four down in Numea in the second round to Patrick Kipson. He recovers from that. He plays much better as the week uh, progresses. He also uh, won a rematch of that Australian Open Juniors final um, in against Aaron Mayo in the semis. And now this week, of course, just blowing everything out of proportion because he's uh, previous previously he only had one top fifty win and it was against Adrian Manarino on clay. So that's um, obviously not particularly impressive, although for where he was at the time, I remember in 2021, that was still a big headline. The same as uh, his win against Corda that year on clay as well. I think it was like Madrid maybe. But uh, in the long run, uh, here he actually gets three of the biggest wins of his career when it comes to the rankings. Uh, 33 Jere, 31 Greek Sport and 8 Rune. And uh, this is like so rare to even get to play three players like this in the first three rounds, because of course, Jerry was the highest ranked unseeded player in the draw. Uh, Echeverry at 32 was a seed, the 32nd seed, whereas Jerry was the, the first player left out. So in a way, it couldn't really be tougher for Kazo, unless instead of Rune, you would place like Djokovic or Alcaraz there or Medvedev or Sine. Right. Like if it yeah. was a different top eight seed, yes, it could have been tougher. But when it comes to Rikspor and then Jere, that kind of couldn't have been any any uh, harder for him. So, yeah, it's a fantastic run. I think against Hurkacz, he also has a pretty decent matchup. It should be very a very serve-based match, as any Hurkacz performance is, really. So, uh, yeah, I'm expecting fireworks again from these two. Um, should be really exciting. I wanted to just point out, because for someone like me who had never heard of Artur before, or even, you know, um, learning more about Nunez, I love what the ATP does. It's like they're so ready for all these new players once they pop up on the scene. They have videos out. They have, like, you know, a little article written and stuff. So if you go check out um, the ATP site or their social media, you'll always find something about these oh, new something players. interesting, I, by the way. Do you remember that base camp competition that was there at the next gen finals? Yes. And do you know how Artur Cazal did in it? Oh, how did he do in it? Yeah, because he wasn't, of course, um, proper like, he wasn't, main draw. He, yeah. He wasn't in the groups, he was an alternate. And right. they did it like for himself for him after all the other players were finished. So it's a different video. It it, it can be found somewhere. I don't 
you know if it's like tennis tv or whatever but it can be fun and he beat everyone in, in, in every category in, including well, all the fields records and he was just like i'm gonna keep going for arthur's records and he did get all of them i think like at least three of them were based on the speed though so um so so that's maybe more explainable or like just if, uh, like something that we would expect the jump right. was maybe a little surprising but anyway uh, of course that also kind of tells you something um yeah well there you go so um go look for that if i can find the link to it i'll put it in the chat but um let us move on to the WTA. And when I, you know, I, I tweeted about this and I'll, I'll post it, I think, soon. But the the top half of the WTA and the bottom half of the ATP, that's just where all the popcorn has been happening. That's where all the fire matches have been happening. It's They've been so fun so far. Day five, day seven have just brought all the stories and we can start with Blinkova who was kind of the star of day five. Was it day five where she beat, um, or was that day three? No, well, not day three, that, either five or four. I mean, I, I can't yeah, possibly I think it was, tell you. I think, it, I know <laughs> it's like, what is time? But you know, her, her huge tie break um, against Rabakina and it's like, well, it must was... be day five because we are talking about day seven. So it must seven, be day yeah. five. Yeah, so it was definitely day five. Um, and that was the story of day five. And here we go. First tie break back, day seven. She loses it 7-1 to Jasmine yeah. Polini. And, the, and loses it. That's and the then story of today, that. really? That, that's the story of today. It's not the story of the day. It's not the story of the day, but it's just, it's tennis. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's tennis. You can have your highest it moment. felt pretty obvious, honestly. Yeah. It, it's so hard to repeat that highest moment, the emotional highest, yeah. moment especially. And, and uh, also the tiredness. Like this is, this was actually a really long match against Rybakina where there's a lot of yeah. nerves as well. So that adds up to it. So yeah, I don't think this one was particularly uh, surprising or interesting, but yeah, I, I, I feel like even though the contrast probably in what she said, like about the, the halves on the men's side, I don't think there's that big a contrast here on the women's. Like, I think at this point in the top half, we should stop making any predictions. It's just yeah, literally mean, sit down yeah. and watch this. Sit down and watch this. If it's going to be Anna Kalinskaya, I'm not going to be surprised in the final. If it's going to be Ossian Dodem, I'm not going to be surprised. Kalinskaya is actually a very real finalist. Dodem is probably the more, or Paulini. Oh, these are, these are probably the two who are like the least possible, or Yastremska. But yeah, at this point, I don't think we can be surprised by anything. It's so, so close. The top sort of the favorites are very close to one another in terms of their quality. At the same time, you also have all these informed players who simply are playing above their usual capabilities right now. So I have nothing left to say really about the sort of matches going forward in the top half of the women's row. We can, of course, talk about the ones that happened today and we are going to. But when it comes to like going yeah into later into the event, I have no idea who's going to make the final, who's going to make the quarters. I feel like at this point, it's just a guessing game. Yeah, I, I mean, it's every day, you know, every time the, this this top half plays, it's just like, what, what what's going to happen? You know, um, even the match, um, the one I watched all the way through between um, Quinn Wen, um, as I pronounce it, and um, I don't know how to pronounce her 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 opponent as i said i think i think at this point everyone just goes for like an anglicized um pronunciation and uh, we have to stick with it like like yeah yeah 
Wang. Um, but yeah, that I mean, it was such just a topsy turvy match, and just the look. And I, I and you know, I don't know if Quinn Wen was paying attention to the draw or she was seeing what was happening, but just the look of relief on her face when she won that match, you have to assume that, you know, she sees opportunity in this top half. Yeah, I mean, this is this is her chance. I think in the past, she's had moments when she didn't capitalize on things like this. Definitely the US Open was the start when it's when it switched, when the, this is when she actually has an easy draw. She has issues along the way. There was that match with Lucia, Lucia Bronzetti, which she could have easily lost. But she gets to the quarters. Of course, she gets demolished by Sabalenka, but the, the main thing was just getting to that quarterfinal. And right now, this is probably a pretty similar topic. I mean, I don't think she needs to make the final, but she will be disappointed if she doesn't make the final four, at least. You know, losing to Svitolina, Zarenka, Noshkova, I think that, that would be perfectly fine for her. Given who is in her forefront the quarter, she will kind of feel like she needs to make that. Um, I don't know if she will, of course. This is actually a lot tougher than it seems on paper. Uh, Dodeon just plays any match, really, that she wants on her own terms. It, she just blasts the ball and sees what's going to happen. Big serve as well. I think Kinvern has struggled to players in the past in the, uh, in the the past um, who like have a similar type of um, idea for for playing this sport. And then uh, Kalinskaya in the quarters especially, I think, could be insanely tough given what, what sort of form she is in right now. So, um, yeah, it's not a given, but she is the player who will feel like, okay, this is my this is my opportunity. Whereas the rest, well, they, all, they will also feel like this is their one and only maybe opportunity. Whereas Kinven will probably just feel like, okay, I'm the favorite. I kind of have to do it. I don't know if today's match kind of shows you that... Um, that she is already struggling with it, probably not. I think it was pretty good from the get from uh, you know from start to finish from from both. Uh, lots of fun moments on social media as well, right? With uh, Nadi <laughs> showing up, uh, yeah, sort of unexpectedly to to talk to her and apparently being a bit of an idol. Apparently, Zheng loves Nadi but doesn't know who Barbara Krejcikova is. <laughs> that's ki- that's kind of fair. Uh, I, I I mean. <laughs> I think that I think that works. I don't know if you know what I'm referring to, but it's. A, I do. It's a I do. Video. Okay. Good. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, again, you know, going through this top half, you know, um, Alina Svitolina, I think, has quietly just had an excellent run so far. You know, just she just goes through her matches, she wins them. She's like, next, <laughs> who's next? Um, Straight sets again for Svitolina. Yeah, absolutely no fuss so far. Um, I think we were also expecting her to be pretty good. I mean, right now she's probably playing, in a way, she's playing the best tennis of her career. I mean, definitely she's more complete than she was. I don't know if Noskova will also fall into the same trap of like Blinkova and her next match because it wasn't as physical against Sviontek. And also, um, like she's actually a, a, the much better player generally, like the much stronger prospect than Blinkova. So it doesn't need, necessarily have to be like it. But of course, Svitolina is among these three or four, three or four um, players who are the most likely to pick up the pieces. One, again, can argue that she will never have a better shot at making the final at a Grand Slam because I think twice that she played in the semis, she once lost to Serena. And what was the other loss? I cannot remember at the moment. But I, I think it was also like... Yeah, Halep maybe. Halep, I think, sounds sounds pretty right, I believe. 
I think it was Halep and Serena. Yeah, uh, correct me if, if correct me someone if I'm if I'm wrong. But uh, yeah, uh, this is this also is a phenomenal opportunity for her. And of course, after returning from her pregnancy last year, she actually is showing a layer to her game that we never really saw before. And it, it seems like especially players who are like sort of like her, maybe more so, maybe more so in the past, but are sort of like her defensively oriented. She is even better now than, against them than she was in the past. I think if she like landed Coco in the final, she would have a real shot at it. There are some players in the in this top half of the draw who, if they make the final, they will probably crumble. But like Svitolina against Goff, that's a pretty decent matchup for her. I know she just lost to her in Auckland, but that was like mostly physicality, and she did take the first right. set. So yeah. um yeah, I, I'm really excited for sure to see if Svitolina can keep this going. It's not going to be easy. You know, it's it's Noshkova next, then maybe Azarenka or Yastremska. But um, basically any round from here just carries. Even if the, the star quality of the names isn't as high, it's going to have some, you know, free players who are freaking in form. And it's not going to be a like a rollover or a draw to the final for her, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Going on to Azarenka and Noskova, I think, you know, everyone was sort of waiting for the the Ostapenko-Siontek um, matchup, you know, just looking far into the future. And Azarenka and Noskova were like, nope, hold up. Wait a minute. <laughs> we have something to say about that. Um, how surprising was it for you for Siontek being out in the third round? I mean, for me, it seems like this draw was was one of her toughest in a while in terms of the names. You know, she starts with Kennan and then Dian- um, Danielle Collins. Like, they weren't sort of like easy, you know, bagel matches that she's having here. And do you think sort of the pressure of handling those two first matches kind of hit her? Or do you think her form just wasn't that good? Because she played great at the United Cup. So I thought her form coming into the Australian Open was pretty high. Yeah, I, I liked what she said in, in, in the presser afterwards, like about playing, uh, not being able to play with her intuition as much here, just because from the get-go, she wasn't feeling that comfortable on the court. So she sort of had to think more about parts of her game that she usually is just able to, you know, just play along and uh, basically this comes natural. And th- and that seems like a very reasonable explanation to me. There are like two ways to look at it, I think. both uh, One is that, uh, well, she did get a horrific draw. Like this is as nightmarish as it can really get and it would go on into the next rounds as well. Maybe the quarter is not now because Ostapenko is out, but like if she was also going to play Svitolina Ostapenko, that's as tough as you can really have it, especially if Rybakina Tsabenko in the final. So like the projected draw was the toughest three she could get. Collins also getting there over Kerber in the second round, Noshkova over Buskova. Uh, you know, some matches that maybe could have gone different way. So either the one thing is just to look at this like, okay, so she had a tough draw and also all the opponents were peaking against her, but also yeah. she kind of invited these peaks. That's the other that's the other sort of uh, train of thought, way, way of thought here. And um, I think probably as usual, truth is somewhere in the middle. Uh, personally, I would lean more towards her inviting that a touch just because, well, she has never really felt that comfortable in Melbourne. Like, it's legit possible that Wimbledon will be, will be a better slam for her soon. And um, I think everyone, every one of these big hitters, Kenin, Collins, Noshkova, they did play, like, some of her best, some of their best matches of late against her because they saw a very clear target. They saw someone who was fragile. They saw someone who was vulnerable, who could have been a big win. 
uh, where you have like a very easy way of attacking her, especially through the second serve return. I don't feel the forehand was that rushed defensively in this event, so probably more so through that. And uh, the comeback against Collins as well from 1-4, I think it covered up a lot of issues. Like people were just talking about that, but they weren't talking about how Iga until 1-4 in the third was just rushing and basically anytime she had Daniel on the back foot, she was trying to end the point with one shot for absolutely no reason, which is something she can do against other powerful players. She's done that in the past. Big part of her rise sort of again last year in Beijing at the WTA finals was avoiding that and just playing smarter. I don't know if this was possible here because, of course, the courts also weren't as pleasant for her as in Beijing or in, at the WTA finals. But this is also more or less in line with what she said after the match in that um, she was sort of like, uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't really... Uh, play uh, the way I was able to recently with like the tactical awareness because I had to focus on other things as well, focus on some basics that I usually don't really get to even think about during the match. So I think the, right. the comeback against Collins covered up a lot of issues and these issues again sort of came up. I think she also was a little less intense than usual. Is it the knee issue that she had, like the, the, the brace, the magnetic brace that she had on it? I don't know. At the United Cup, she had it too, and, and she was fine. So perhaps this is a bit of a talking point, but probably not the thing we should be focusing on. However, I think she was really low on in intensity in the second and third set. Uh, probably only really had this one big game when she uh, broke back in the third at 1-2. Like that was the moment when she really pushed uh, herself to, to something. But of course, the last game, also a bit of an opportunity. She misses a couple of returns, which she was kind of missing them the whole match. But, you know, she couldn't really produce that um, more sustained, more controlled aggression when it mattered. And also the free all game, of course, when the first serve was just non-existent. And uh, she was struggling to keep the balls in play, like literally couldn't play more than two shots in a rally. So it wasn't a great display from her for sure. Actually, maybe one of her weaker performances at a slam in a while. Uh, she still got to the third round, which I think she has a pretty huge streak right now of getting there. But yeah, this this was pretty rough. I don't think I was expecting really uh, her to maybe claim the title because I thought that some of the bigger matchups, like against Ostapenko or Sabalenka on these courts, are going to be rough for her. Erbakina as well, if she got there. But um, still, you, you sort of just expect a, a regular Shvantek showing, which is like quarter semi, right. and uh, she wasn't able to do that. And she was basically in trouble every round, which I, I guess, again, as I said, it's just a sort of a balance between the opposition being making it really tough and also just her inviting that in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, Victoria Zarenka, she's the only Grand Slam winner in the top half of the draw now. Um, also someone who... I wasn't really, she, you know, she wasn't on my radar this tournament. You know, she was there in the background winning matches. Um, I expected Ostapenko to come out of this, who also has been doing well in, in the pre-tournaments before the Oz Open. But, I mean, she does not have a great head-to-head -head against Azarenka. Um, Ostapenko, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is now four and zero. And mm -hmm. <laughs> I think with with time, sort of over time, even um, the matchup has gotten a bit tougher for Yelena, just because Azarenka is seemingly a bit of a serve bot now. Like the, the ace rate, the ace potential has gotten a lot higher. I checked the stats and like when she was in her prime, like 2012, 2013, she was hitting a lot more, a lot less ace, a lot fewer aces, I guess, 
and then uh, the last then last year then 2016 as well 2016 was the only real comparable patch of course serve uh, like aces aren't the only uh, statistic that we can have for for measuring performance on serve it is kind of flawed it is kind of flawed as well uh, like if you look at just first serve percentage because it also like how you play after your serve is also going to impact that. So we don't really have a perfect stat for it. But just also on the eye test, yeah, I mean, she was she was really uh, getting a lot of quality first serves in against Ostapenko. And if you remember her prime, like 2012-13, that was usually the issue. Like, he, she always had an elite return game, but she wasn't yeah. quite up there with, like, the biggest servers, like Serena or whatever. Right now, it seems like she has improved that. I think this is working really well in terms of covering up that movement decline that is definitely there. Like she has lost half a step. She's not as, um, you know, she's not able to produce as much defensively, but she's able to make it work. Uh, did Ostapenko have a bit of a horror show in the first? Yes. Should she have won at least one more game from 5-2? Yes. But it, it still seems like over the years, this matchup has only gotten tougher for Ostapenko. I think after the Brisbane match, I thought it was going to be like a 50-50 because that one really was that. I mean, they just really yeah. attacked their other, their, each other's second serves and that's kind of it. Like whoever lands more is probably going to win. Ostapenko obviously brings a lot more fire of the ground as well, but can be less reliable. But yeah, Azarenka again served really well. And I think in both Brisbane and here, this was what led her to the win. And now she's playing Yastremska. It's, it's a different matchup, of course, but also against a big hitter. Maybe if she serves like this again. I don't know if I actually buy her as a finalist, potentially, just because I think she's going to play someone, yeah, maybe like Svitolina, where um, the movement deficiencies and the serve isn't going to be, to be less as important. And it's like a more baseline-oriented matchup, less big hitting. I think maybe she's not going to hold up that well in that. But um, yeah, I think Ostapenko Azarenka was a bit of a 50-50. And Azarenka just once again showed that she kind of enjoys herself in this matchup. Although when I, show, when I saw some tweets saying that, this is so comfortable for Azarenka. I was like, nah, I mean, you're playing Ostapenko. It's never comfortable. You can be leaving <laughs> six love for love and it's not comfortable. You're not going to feel good because she is dictating. She is just blasting the ball all the time. And as Kirit says, she, that's why she cannot put seven matches together as well. She did just once. Although recently Ostapenko has been a lot more reliable than in the past. Yeah, and I'm a lot more consistent. So we'll see what the rest of the season holds for her. But you brought up, you know, Azarenka's next match. So let's look at what, what we have coming up for the fourth round. So a little bit of a preview. What are you, what are you looking forward to in these fourth round matches on the WTA side? Uh, kind of everything on the, in the top half. As I said, this is just like <laughs> grab your popcorn, watch it. I have no clue who's going to win either match. Probably the strongest favorite here is either Zheng or Svitolina. But again, Noshkova, I, I agree with, um, who was that? Oh, Kirit, who said in the chat that Svitolina is a completely different matchup. But I think Nos Noshkova is talented enough that it doesn't have to matter. Like she, she really is for me a player who's like, uh, basically has all the tools already. And once she starts showing that in every single match once she starts being consistent on a weekly basis she could have a big rise so uh i think maybe uh, maybe if she again is able to perform at a very high standard it doesn't have to be easy uh Kalinskaya, i want to see if she plays like this again because today against stevens she was just marvelous uh she mm -hmm. loses the first set and after that just i don't know starts going even bigger makes zero errors for the next two sets 
I don't know if the, the the stat guys are always right, but like the, I think she made like six or five unforced errors in the last two sets, and that's while dictating play. That's while going for, after the ball. I mean, the match point was fabulous as well. Uh, I I was so I'm so impressed with that performance in general. Ikaninskaya over the past two or three months, of course, she's like sixteen and three, I think, in her last nineteen matches. Uh, huge results at the WTA 125 level, and also uh, this year she only lost to Azarenka and Kasatkina so far. I think always she's been a very underrated ball striker, so I, I love seeing this run. Uh, and I, I, I'm sorry, Jasmine Paulini, I would like to see her in the quarters. I think she's capable of more in this event. And all the other matches look pretty interesting as well. Yeah, I mean, Jastremska um, or Dodeon, they, they might be the underdogs, but they are certainly capable of just taking the racket away from the opponent when playing well. So this is a bit of a half for me where like you just sit sit back enjoy relax <laughs> relax yeah to the hell knows. We, we also have the matches on the double on the um bottom half where i mean i'm just gonna be in front of my tv for sabalenka and animas anisimova anisimova there we go i said it <laughs> But that's Are you gonna also be going my to be in front of your TV for golf against Frank? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be in front of my TV for that one. I do not know. We will see. If it gets interesting, then sure. Yeah. But how does golf not make it at least to the semis? Yeah. Kostiu you know? Artemofieva might have a bit of a shot, but her draw has definitely opened up. The, the tough matchups that we thought were going to happen for golf along the way. So Fernandez, Garcia... They all went out and um, basically every other player who is like maybe more established than Kostiuk, Timofieva or Frank has gone out. Kostiuk is, is definitely the one who's had like the most experience at these stages. And of course, is always a player who's just like waiting for a breakthrough. Many third rounds and fourth, well, fourth round, I think she's only, this is only her second. But in the third round, she was actually a lot of, time, a lot of times already. Um, including the Australian Open in 2018 when she was just 15. And of course, that was a major story back then. So uh, I think Kostiuk maybe is the biggest threat. But yeah, Goff not making the semis right now is looking unlikely. Sabalenka, yeah. a little tougher. Anisimova, the 4-1 head-to-head. I don't know if she's quite capable of uh, putting this together in like this stage of her season, the moment when she is just basically coming back from, well, injury issues, but also mental things and... I don't know if she's quite fully there to like play four amazing matches in a row, including against Sabalenka, but she did used to have a pretty good matchup with her, so why not? And Andreeva as well, despite getting demolished by uh, Sabalenka last time they played. I mean, she's just such an improving player that maybe she can pull it off anyway. So I think Sabalenka is definitely under more threat going into the semis than, than Goff. And um, <laughs> on the men's side... It's looking pretty exciting. Which uh, which uh, section are we referring to? Top half or bottom half? Uh, because top half doesn't excite me whatsoever tomorrow. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just all high it's seeds. All in the bottom it's, it's, half. Yeah, it, it's no novelty. It's it's all high seeds. You know, the only top 16 seed not to make it is Shelton. But we get mm. Manarino instead of that, which is actually kind of worse because... Manarino is going to be so tired after all these matches. He also got the day session against Novak, which I think adds his, adds his chances just definitively. 
even uh, like back in the day, this didn't, this wasn't never, this was never really a, a tough matchup for Novak. And I think he's going to just figure things out very uh, smoothly again. Demino Rublev is probably the standout today. Uh, I mean, to tomorrow, whatever the time of the day is for you. But yeah, it is tomorrow for me as well. So I don't know why I said today. But tomorrow, <laughs> uh, Demino Rublev is probably the standout as that actually looks close. That actually looks like a match that could deliver the fireworks. Seen it against Kachanov, I guess someone could be excited about it. But um, I think Kachanov just has just had such a horrible record against the top 10 over the years. And it's for a reason. Like he just kind of plays this very solid base base level, very high floor. But when he has to step it up, when he has to like play with maybe a lot more balls, he never really does it. At least not anymore. Not since winning Paris in 2018. And I think Sinner, I know, has just been so good that probably he takes care of that. Maybe it's even tougher for him than the quarter. And Tsitsipas Fritz, I, I, I am bored by I'm, I, I instantly don't want to watch it. Like, there's no novelty for me in this matchup. I know they've only played four times, but I, I just do don't feel like watching fun? either of them. No. <laughs> uh, I also think fun? it's irrelevant for the rest of the event because one of them is going to have to play Djokovic in the quarters. This is true. But, you know, we can sort of look ahead and if we get Djokovic uh, Sinner in the semis, yes, uh, that I will be excited by. But the bottom half looks a lot more uh, fresh to me. And and that's what I am looking for, like in second weeks of slums. I want to see something fresh. Right. Well, in terms of the order of play today, tomorrow, depending on when you are in the world, this is Australian time. So uh, Rod Laver Arena, we're starting with golf. And then the Djokovic match during the day. It's the first time he's played during the day since, I think they said 2021? Yeah, 2022 he didn't play the event. So it's only 2023 really when he didn't have a day match. I I think that it it shouldn't have been this round. Like the the fact that Manarino played until late in the day Mm -hmm. kind of feels like they're ending his chances even more than they were already because he was already over. (laughs) But I mean, it, it kind of feels like they're screwing him up even more. Uh, maybe Djokovic could have played Margaret Court instead of Sinir Kachanov in the night session. But, I mean, whatever. Uh, that probably doesn't matter for this matchup anyway. Uh, if you could take one shot from a pro player, which would it be? That's an interesting question from Sean. I have to think about it. Like, Are we thinking of me being an, mo- the most effective tennis player that I can be? Or are we thinking about me just wanting a shot because it's so good? Um, yeah. Or like it's so beautiful, for example. Because... Um, yeah. If we're if like thinking about most effective, I would probably take the serve of Isner or Karlovic, right? But it's it's not it's not a fun answer. It's it's the boring answer. It's like the tired, uh, and now I, I you know option, and now I have to think about the wired option. <laughs> if for me, I you know I don't like my backhand. Don't like really using the backhand. I always run around the ball to hit a forehand. So I'll just take someone's good forehand, and just keep running around the ball. Because why improve? Your weaknesses, really. <laughs> I've never really thought about that, Sean, but um, I'll think about it now. Yeah, like probably also a mo- the most effective option for me would be to take like a Djokovic backhand, just because mine mm. is pretty awful. It's a one-hander and like against pace, it's it's rough. Oh, Damien, I, we I, should I, play. We should just play I mean, forehand. Well, we just won't hit our backhands ever. No, I, I mean I, I like hitting my backhand. You know, <laughs> when it works, it's it's I, I feel great. You know, I actually started developing like a pretty sensible down the line uh, winner, so it's it's cool. 
uh, when I when I hit it, I'm like, oh, Jesus, finally, finally, I have this shot in my arsenal. But because, as you said, like, yeah, why improve our weaknesses? I would just take a one-hander from someone and just have a better version of that shot, be more flashy with it. I'm, let, who am I kidding? I mean, I'm going to take Federer's one-hander. Of course. Yes. I was I was waiting for you to say it. I'm like, how can you not say you're going to take Federer's one-hander? Yeah, I, I was sort of just trying to go for something different, you know? But, no. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's very, it's very similar to mine in terms of how I try to use the shot. Of mm-hmm. course, it's... Mine is horrific, and mine is also way less consistent. My my slice is well, good for my level, but not for the actual pros. But yeah, I would still take that. And of course, some some other good answers. Yeah, as Kirit says, Fernando Gonzalez's forehand, Juan Martin del Potro's forehand, Federer Nadal forehand. Like these are these are also very much doable. I didn't want to go for a forehand though, because I feel like that that shot in my game is not like limited offensively. So I'm I'm fine with my forehand. I I I, I would rather exchange my backhand for sure, or the serve, the serve <laughs> especially maybe. So um, back to the schedule. I mean, I'm gonna spend my day on Margaret Court. You know, I'm gonna watch that Sabalenka match and then you know follow up with Sinner. I think that's where all the excitement will be. But I you know I can't also help. Look that Barbara Karchukova Andreeva match. That's that's going to be fun. I think maybe. Yeah. Let, let's see. It depends me? on Krejčíková. It depends on Krejčíková. I think if she's able to to make it a match because the last time, the last two times they played, I know it was a retirement at Wimbledon, but in Beijing it was pretty awful. And like Krejčíková has so much variety and like often confuses players with it. It seems like Andreeva is able to respond to all that. Then again, when Diane Perry was just slicing her to death last uh, two days ago, you know, mm-hmm. yesterday, when Diane Perry was just slicing Andreeva to death, she actually had issues. You know, maybe maybe this yeah. is possible. Um, I think if it, if it there is that possibility that it's like Beijing last year, and then it's not too exciting. But in general, yeah, I I, I do want to see that one. So I guess, uh, but but I agree with you that the Margaret Court Arena is probably the place to be. Of course, there's no doubles matches here, uh, so I'm, I don't know which doubles are along with it. But it seems just from the single schedule that indeed, uh, if someone has a ticket for Margaret Court, they might enjoy it even more than Rod Laver Arena tomorrow. Although, then again, you have the Minor Rublev as well on, on Rod Laver, so I guess um, it's a bit of fun. a split between the two, yeah. Yeah, that could be fun. So another fun day of tennis tomorrow. I think the Australian Open really has delivered so far. Um, definitely, you know, stick with um, with us. We're going to, I'm not sure exactly what matches we're going to be streaming and commenting on today, but just subscribe. Please like this video, stick with us, and um, hopefully we'll have a schedule soon. And um, You'll know what to to watch with us. I just woke up and the coffee is not working yet, Damien. So, <laughs> I yeah, think I, I, I have no clue what we're going to be doing, but certainly there's going to be something tomorrow. Yeah. I would assume that Demino Rublev is going to be there because we've been doing that pretty much all the uh, all week, right? That the 9 a.m. match is probably going to be covered, but uh, yeah. You, you guys know there's going to be something at least. And of course, keep subscribing as well as we are on that quest for 6K um, until we're the end of Australian it. Open. Yes, we yeah, are. Yeah, we're going to make it. With your help, we're, we're going to make, make it. it. Let's do it, guys. <laughs> Let's do it. If you all subscribe, uh, then we are definitely going to do it. 5.5K, uh, 
5.5k is definitely doable. So uh, yeah, keep going. And uh, we are definitely going to have some content for you tomorrow as well. Okay. Bye, everyone. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Podcast Network.